What's up, investors? This is the Investor Weekly News Update for June 5th, 2023. We're going to be talking about those very low down payment home mortgages, talking about what Sam Zell would have been investing in these days. And we're also going to be ending with a little bit commentary on these DraftKings and MGM gambling houses and how it relates to passive investing and us. First things first. So Rocket Mortgage, they released this article talking about these new 1% down mortgages. So what exactly are these things? Can you really go out and get a 1% down mortgage? Or is it just some kind of ploy because the mortgage companies and the real estate brokerage industry is really hurting because nobody can afford the monthly payments where interest rates are at? Luckily, there's some relief on the horizon, right? With interest rates staying where they're at and coming down. Yes, this is one of those marketing ploys. You know, when I first saw this, I was like, well, this sounds familiar to when there used to be like an FHA loan kind of allowing this. But what it turned out to be was just it wrapped up two programs in one. And essentially, you could take out a second mortgage to cover that down payment, creating a situation where you're putting zero down or 1%. In this case, they said you don't need to worry about the private mortgage insurance, but that kind of just gets wrapped up in the loan, essentially. So I would probably say that chalk this up to a little bit of marketing tactics by the mortgage industry. Sure, you can go with a 1% down mortgage or 0% down, but it's going to cost you at the end of the day. But back to investing news. Unfortunately, real estate investing mogul Sam Zell passed away a few weeks ago. And the question came up from this article, what properties would Sam Zell be investing in next? In the 1970s, he capitalized on struggling property market by purchasing flats and offices and retail spaces at low prices. Um, If Sam Zell were starting his career today, he might find interest in outdoor storage facilities and parks of prefabricated homes due to their easy-to-understand markets and limited competition. Despite conventional wisdom struggling caution with office and retail assets, Zell saw potential in failing assets while American malls and older office buildings face challenges in an e-commerce and remote work world. Uh, Sam Zell recognized opportunities in struggling assets. Now, I don't know if he would really invest in these types of things, but Sam was very, he was known as being, his nickname was the Grave Dancer. So he would go into a lot of distressed assets because unlike most people, he was properly capitalized to sustain a longer than um, normal recovery cycle, meaning that most people didn't have the firepower to go after these types of assets. And When you have the firepower like he does, you have the conviction to stay in it a really, really long time for the long-term trends to come out. I personally don't have as much money as Sam did, and I can't stay and go after the type of long-range bets he can. But he was always a guy who some people thought that in his old, grumpy age, he held on to that whole office space bit where I think today we're going to be going into another article here in a bit you know, how office has changed long term, that the need is going away. And some people saw it as in his old day, he just sticks to his guns. And he had a lot of money riding on the whole office space sector. So makes sense why he would always be a guy, people are coming back to the office. Yet 
when does he go into the office himself? But anyway, if you guys are interested in getting some of our more insider access and office hour call recordings, um, you could join our club at simplepassacashflow.com slash club. You just got to fill out a quick form there and then get to know myself, get to know my team. At that point, you can apply to come to our retreat in San Diego, June 23rd to 24th. For more information about that specific retreat, you can go to simplepassacashflow.com slash stateside, or you can go to our event page on the website to see what else is coming up in the future. We don't do that many events. Most of our investors are pretty busy, and this next stateside event is really made for people to come in and out as quickly as possible. It's going to be a little bit more condensed version of our annual retreat in Hawaii that we hold every January. But we're going to be sending out the office hours replay here in about a week. So if you guys aren't part of the list, join now. Getting back to office, this article from CBRE talks about office demand further weakens. At one point, I was kind of like, yeah, office, and if you can buy it for the right price, it'll definitely pick up. But it doesn't seem that that momentum is going to be happening anytime soon. And as much as I'm not somebody who invests on like short-term trends, doesn't really have a time horizon of multi-decade types of plays, I see myself as the middle. And especially in this type of asset class like office, I don't think it's going to be coming back around for another five, maybe 10 years. And that's just a little bit too long time horizon when there's other, I think, more enticing asset classes plays and especially for, but I think the biggest one that I like is just straight up development for workforce housing. The growing demand for that type of stuff is a long-term fundamental. And it, it does seem to be bot- bottoming out as I just sent out a little email to our investors with a third-party report on that. Again, sign up for the club to get those emails sent to your inbox. Uh, this article talks about in quarter one, the experience... 16 and a half million square foot of negative absorption, marking the weakest quarter for office demand in two years. The comp- completion of 5.4 million square feet of new office space led to a 50 point basis increase in office vacancy rate, reaching 17.8%. Now, normally, office runs a little bit higher in terms of vacancy than residential. But yeah, you're reaching normal, about 80% occupancy there. Not that great, in my opinion. And also, you're just taking the asking rent, which I think is the big indicator. Occupancy and absorption, those numbers can be skewed one way or the other. But I always think that the rents what that is, takes into account the supply and dem- demand dynamics because that's actually what people were paying per square foot. And that number is unchanged in the previous quarter and increased by only 1% compared to a year ago, reaching on a national average of $35.42 per square foot. So similarly, this is coming from therealdeal.com, how Blackstone shrunk their office holdings to just 2%. Blackstone, again, is one of those biggest private equity companies out there, I would probably say a little bit too big to fail. They definitely push their weight around. Um, in 2007, Blackstone purchased Sam Zell's equity office properties for $39 billion 
forced to, to sell more office properties than originally planned doing to a co- competing big from for NATO. However, this turned out to be a blessing in disguise Blackstone. Over the years, Blackstone reduced its exposure to office properties and shifted its focus to other asset classes such as data centers, life centers, and logistics. Maybe Sam Zell was just a little grumpy that he got stuck with these office properties. And However, Blackstone avoided significant losses by shedding office assets and redirecting its investments into more promising sectors. While Blackstone's distributor earnings from real estate were down 58% due to frozen investment sales market, uh, the company's strategic shift forward allowed it to generate strong cash flows and avoid the challenges faced by Fernandos. So I think a lot of people don't realize Blackstone and Warren Buffett, they don't just buy these assets. They also do a lot of value add. So Blackstone, the way they do it is they have all these different sectors. Like for example, they have a hotel casino sector and they have staff that works that asset classes and value adds. They obviously do like hard rehabs and construction, but also there is a lot of internal management that's going on. I always get a little twingy whenever I hear people quoting these Warren Buffett quotes saying Warren Buffett's a buy and hold investor. No, he's not. He goes in and buys companies. And yes, his thing is going in and buying companies with good management already in place. So he doesn't have to do too much. A lot of it is buying these synergistic companies or having staff that will go in with a capital improvement plan to value add it. I think we're the disconnect between a lot of investors don't realize that it's not just a buy and hold type of situation. It's a buy and value add and then sell the situation. And that buy, hope, and pray model is really only done by the unsophisticated investors out there who go into the stocks and traditional investment. This article, it's talking about the multifamily missing the middle, which started at flat at the start of 2023. The missing middle construction sector refers to the development of medium-density housing, including townhomes, duplexes, and small multifamily properties. I would say this is indicative of, I think, what competes with a lot of landlords out there. A lot of These are the construction starts between two and four unit housings. And the construction of the missing middle housing has been significantly lagged between in the posts Great recession period without zoning reforms that produce light touch density. It is expected that this trend continue. And we've talked in last reports, which you guys can access all the past reports at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. And when we change over to the new site, it'll be wealthelevator.com slash investor letter, I'm sure. But you guys can check back on some of these articles where municipalities like the last one, I think was California, they opened up previously single family home areas and they are allowed more more density these two to four units being built and which will probably take place over the next couple of decades but that's a more progressive type of municipality of course that translates well what will happen over the country in the coming decade or two of course but this is the reason why you're missing this missing middle in the middle and this is exactly why we focus on apartment development and going into that sector because this, although some municipalities are coming around to allow this in single family home areas, it's going to be a long time before it gets approved in especially the more red states, less progressive states that we're in. 
an even longer time for the changes or actual developments to go in and improvements for the little house flippers to go in and start to build two to four units on top of what's there. I'll probably be safe to say in saying that probably you have another decade or two to capitalize on this long-term trend. We've got that whole debt ceiling behind us. And for the probably the next week or two, there's going to be a little bit of a news lag, which is probably why the Wall Street Journal released that really old news article about the that syndicator who went who for, got foreclosed on like about a th- 5,000 units. We talked about that in the office hours for those of you guys in the investor club there, but not much going on in terms of news. I would say focus on the long-term trend. This, this article is talking about this uncertain economic outlook keeps renters where they're at and pushing cap rates up. Factors like high inflation, tech company layoffs, and recent bank failures further contribute to slower household formation and impact the multifamily commercial real estate, including multifamily cap rates. Now that's in the short run, slower renter household form- formation is putting upward pressure on cap rates. But in the long term, this dynamic is likely to reverse, as the article says. The number of renter households directly affects the demand for apartment leases with higher formation, reducing investment risks, and resulting in lower vacancies and improved cash flow. And as much as I get frustrated with what the Fed does slows down everybody's purchasing and kind of just slows the transaction volumes. In the long run, all it really does is just delay the inevitable and makes the demand for workforce housing even more. And again, in the short term, I'm reading the article now, in the short term, slow renter household formation increases cap rates, but is likely to reverse when economic conditions improve and people become less risk averse regarding their living situations. And I'll end here. We don't have any investor question because I answered a lot of them on the last office hours that I did. That'll be going out to your guys' inboxes this next week. But I was watching a lot of NBA basketball recently because I, I like to watch the Lakers beat the Warriors. But the Lakers lost. So I'm not watching anymore. But when I was watching, there was all these commercials talking about, you know, they had Kevin Garnett and Charles Barkley promoting these MGM gambling sites, and then there's DraftKings. Maybe I'm getting old, and I'm just like, man, that's not really good for the average consumer out there to start getting super easy access to being able to gamble their monthly savings away. Uh, To me, or what a lot of people think in our world is lotteries and that type of stuff is unfortunately a tax on the poor, which is mostly what it is. But all that aside, I think the long-term trend it used to be you'd be able to go to like illegal gambling halls and it wasn't mainstream. It was a very small minority of the people who could get involved in this type of stuff. And now these big institutions are rolling it out to the masses. I'm not going to say if it's good or bad. I'm just calling it out as it is. And I think just wanted to connect it with investing in the investment world. It used to be you could buy turnkey rentals and it was, you weren't competing directly with the big institutional players. Similarly in the gambling world, the MGM grams and the venture capital back DraftKings. And in the rental world, you could buy these little rental properties and do all right, because it was essentially like the last frontier of ways the average Joe, a lot of you guys could 
find financial freedom. I mean, that was the way how I did it, how I got over half a million dollars starting in 2009 was buying little rental properties. And as much as I see like the big institutions come in now, like I saw them come in back in 2015, they came in into Atlanta, competed with me. They backed out, but now they're back in. And if you want to Google the articles on that, just Google uh, institutional short-term or institutional long-term rental landlords. They're coming in and as much, and it doesn't really impact a lot of our investors now because we're into larger apartments and syndications. And especially when you go into more value type of projects, you stay, the institutions don't really directly compete with you. In fact, they help you because we value add them and then we sell it to one of those big institutions. So it's more helpful for us. But when those guys come in and build these big rent to built to rent communities or they're buying large, large amounts of these little single family homes, man, it really makes it impossible for the average Joe to compete with these guys. And Similarly, in the gambling world, these illegal gambling halls are probably going away because nobody wants to deal with the the creepiness of those illegal gambling halls and the crime associated when they can just pull it up on their app on MGM Gambling or DraftKings. The space is always changing, but the trend is always moving towards the institutions just make it hard for the average Joe to get involved. Another one that I've heard I haven't heard this in a while, but some of our investors do used to do are very techie and used to do the mainframe computers and rent out the mainframe space for allow for internet traffic to go through. And nowadays, like the big institutions have taken over that space, namely Amazon. I don't know where it's maybe I'm painting a dim picture here for people who don't have money in the future, but it's gonna be really hard for the clever entrepreneur to find a niche and maybe this has been happening since the beginning of time but man i really thought that real estate which is essentially the most easiest business out there all you're doing is renting out a box to people to live in that hole is closing very soon i think and i've seen it close as quickly as maybe a decade the prices that i was buying properties at 2012 and now 10 years later 2022 are just night and day different. We used to buy the same property that rented for about $100 less for like 30% the price that it is now. I'm not talking in terms of some grandpa saying that they used to buy their $30,000 house. Now that's worth $300,000. It's almost apples to apples because the rents haven't really gone up from like a decade. It's gone up very slightly with inflation, but the price that people are paying for these turnkey rentals, I bought the same exact thing for like 80 grand that people are buying it for maybe 140 grand. And the rents are maybe about a couple hundred dollars more than what it was a decade ago. But anyway, I think that's exactly why we're trying to swim upstream and go to more um, types of investments where the institutions really doesn't impact us and to get away from the masses of unsophisticated real estate investors out there. But if you guys like this content, please pick up my book. I'm writing my second book at the moment here, but the old book is The Journey to Simple Passive Cash Flow. It's a lot shorter than the future book, 
where we get really get into the nuts and bolts of like where you are in the wealth building journey. Um, and it's this concept of you're trying to ascend the building. And we, we have this wealth elevator where there's different strategies where you're in the basement, first floor, second, third, fourth floor, and then the penthouse and beyond. Because I think a lot of the problem with navigating this financial space is that there's so much advice out there for random levels, most of which are in the lower levels, the basement level or the first floor level, where it doesn't pertain to people who have $2 million net worth, $5 million net worth. And that's where I'm trying to like separate the different levels and then the different strategies within those. We'll see you guys next time. And thanks for sharing the podcast. Bye.